Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. That's not a man. Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast, Ben, Brett, and Jordy coming at you, fighting for democracy. Brett's already starting the episode laughing before delving into why Brett is laughing. Let me tell you about the incredible guest we have on the podcast today. We have Allison Gill on the podcast today. I'm sure everyone knows who Allison is. Um, she hosts two of our favorite podcasts, Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans. And we're going to delve deeper into Gil's background, though. She was she was a veteran, um, is a veteran, Ph.D., former federal government executive who was terminated in retaliation for her political stances under the Trump administration, a comedian, an author, and a staunch advocate for the democratic resistance. And we're going to dig deep into her story about how she got started, what she thinks about the January 6th committee's investigation and more. But let me toss it over to you, Brett. What's so funny? So a couple things are, are funny to me today. And uh, some of these things are funny to me every time. But at the beginning of every show, what people don't hear because the music is playing, the That's, that's an America song is is playing, is Jordy always counts us in. And his countdowns are always just uh, the voice he makes when he does the countdowns are always very unique. I would I get uh, really I excited. Yeah. Maybe I'll play an example of uh, <laughs> should we listen to one of them? I go, I, I go I think, back I think, to my theater days. I, I listen. I think I think the last episode you even brought it even more. So I'll play a clip from last episode of Jordy counting us in just to see what we get a taste of before the show starts. Three and two and a three, two, one. Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast. <laughs> I mean, there, there you go. That, I, I start us off on a good note. Hey, start us off with a bang. You make you make me smile. So that's number one. Number two is the fact that Ben is in another unidentifiable location. Where uh, in the world is Ben? <laughs> ben, are you in a stairwell today? Are you at a coffee shop? Are you in a you bunker? Look like you're, you look like you're in a bunker. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Okay, I, when I'm not in a bunker, let me tell you, I've been to New York. <laughs> I've been here on business. So for the Allison Gill interview, I want to apologize to all our listeners in Midas Mighty. You're just going to have Brett and Jordy do that interview. Some would say so that's an I've upgrade. Been, our viewership just skyrocketed when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brett. So I've been in New York. We had a big announcement yesterday that Spike Lee is going to be directing the Colin Kaepernick multi-part docu-series on ESPN. Huge. As everybody knows, I'm Colin's attorney and business partner across all of his endeavors. And so I flew out on a red eye to be there for the filming 
And so we were on set um, and I'll continue to be on set for the filming. Um, and so that's Let's why I'm show, not going to be. You sent us some really cool photos yesterday from you being on the set. So we'll let our, our YouTube viewers. Uh, well, let's pull up some of those photos that you sent from do, this. Are we, are we allowed to show these? No, you're not allowed to show them. Those are just brother photos. Like I, Those will come out at a later time. Brett just like <laughs> show really? family we, we photos. Just, we just put them up. Could they actually not be up? Could, no, could they, they, we're not doing the photos up yet, but those are just family <laughs> pull, photos. Pull the photos, pull the photos. Pull the right. photos. Those right, are family down, photos. Coming down. Um, but you could put up the photos of Colin sitting courtside with Spike Lee at the Knicks game. I was there for the filming. This is going to be incredible. You not get the invite um, to the game or what happened there? Yikes. All right. It was Colin and Spike Lee in the front row. I was exhausted because of the red eye. And so I went to sleep early. Anyway, let's get into the news. You guys just gang up on me when I'm, when I'm not there. And then because this room is that I'm in right now is like a small office space. My sound reverbs if I don't talk directly into the microphone. And so for those watching me, I'm like literally eating the microphone like it's a ice cream cone. And so for those listening, you will have to just imagine me literally eating the mic. But let's get into the news. We have a lot to discuss. I want to talk about really the leadership under President Biden to start. Um, and like Biden doesn't get enough credit on, on a ton of things. Um, but again, tough on foreign policy. It was announced that Biden and the American military killed the ISIS leader in Syria. Biden said that the counterterrorism operation in northern Syria took out ISIS leader Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Karashi, and that all Americans returned safely from that operation. Quote, last night in my direction, U.S. military forces in northwest Syria successfully undertook a counterterrorism operation to protect the American people and our allies and make the world a safer place, Biden said in a statement. Thanks to the skill and bravery of our armed forces, we have taken the battlefield to Abu Abrahim al-Hashimi Kashari, the leader of ISIS. I think that's strong. I think it the difference in the statements that we see here uh, compared to previous administrations, we didn't see, we killed him like a dog, like a dog. He'd like, you don't see those sort of just crazy and self-aggrandizing statements from Biden. I think it shows you that there's so much going on on a daily basis that we're not even cued into. And this has been, I believe, months in the planning. We're still, as we speak, finding out more about this. And But basically from the initial reports, and I will note that initial reports are often not fully reflective of the final reports when all, all the research is done and all the investigations are done. But as Ben said, the leader of ISIS killed. It seems like we surrounded the compound. And um, as we were getting close with our ground raid after we surrounded the compound, it seems like the guy blew himself up and killed civilians in the process. And so that sort of seems to be the story that we are getting right now. Um, I feel like we hear this sort of every couple of years, the leader of ISIS is killed, the leader of ISIS is killed. I thought Trump said he did away with ISIS. So, uh, you know, always surprising to see that they, they still exist. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's like a game of musical chairs with these leaders. And that's got to be the most unenviable position on the planet. Who wants to be next? <laughs> Who wants to be the next leader of ISIS? Step on up. That job has like an expiration date of what, like a year and a half? two years. <laughs> yeah, but all these people think they're martyrs when they take the job. So they, they raise their hand and they're, they're, they're sick people. And what a wuss, what a fucking wuss that guy is to strap a bomb on himself. Or, or I don't even know if it was a, you know, a suicide bombing like that. Again, initial reports so hard to make out 
what he actually did. But then he blew up uh, his house with his family and his kids in it, trying to get the U.S. soldiers who, who were there. I mean, what a what a jerk, man. Yeah. And I want to have a basis of comparison here. So while Biden is pursuing an aggressive foreign policy abroad um, and having important wins there, you know, Republican leadership, we should be looking in Texas. We can look at Florida. Let's just talk about these governors for a second. Let's just talk about Greg Abbott. Remember the last power outage um, uh, that took over Texas and people were like literally freezing to death as a result of uh, the state of Texas and the government not not like buying antifreeze, you know, for their wind turbines when they knew that that's a very easy thing to purchase like and 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 not deal with and then Somehow, uh, Abbott tried to blame it on the proposal of the Green New Deal. Remember, like all that absurdity. Yeah, and then yeah. Abbott Ted was Cruz asked to Cancun, and we got yep. Cancun Cruise. And Abbott was asked by uh, someone at a at a sports event um, if he could promise them that he had fixed the grid and that these power outages wouldn't happen again. Let's play the clip. Hey, more power generation capacity. You promise? I know so. Okay. okay. A couple of weeks after that, we go to uh, November 26, 2021. Abbott is once again asked, can he guarantee that the lights will stay on in Texas this winter? His response. Can you give a guarantee that the lights are going to stay on? I can guarantee the lights will stay on. No equivocation there. I could guarantee that the lights will stay on. Flash cut, however, to February 2nd. 2022, Greg Abbott changes his tune. Let's hear what Greg Abbott said uh, this Wednesday. Well, listen, no, no, one, no one can guarantee that there won't be a, quote, uh, load shed event. And for those wondering what a load shed event is, a load shed event means mass blackouts. <laughs> no one can guarantee there won't be mass blackouts in the state, that the power companies are going to have to shut off power for many Texans. And so in a span of a few months, Greg Abbott went from guaranteeing guaranteeing that there would be no power issues to now saying, oh, well, we can't guarantee that at all. Who would guarantee something like that? And that's exactly what happened. And so I, you know, I first want to just send, you know, our thoughts and our hearts out to everybody in Texas who is struggling right now with these winter storms and with the cold weather and with these power outages that are consuming the state. And I think people like Greg Abbott really need to be held accountable for at the end of the day, what they're doing is they are upholding failed states. They are creating failed states. And that's what they are running on. They are just destroying the entire infrastructure of the states. They are not willing to help at all, not willing to do simple regulations like Ben, you said, weatherize the wind turbines or, you know, actually do anything to help the situation. And in fact, they sit back and now a problem that could have been avoided is now back on Texans who are suffering right now. Yeah, they're putting politics over people in the name of power. Let's talk about another failed, you know, governor in, in DeSantis. And uh, he has refused to condemn a Nazi rally, an actual Nazi rally, like literally Nazis who were rallying in Orlando over this past weekend. And when DeSantis was asked to condemn them rather than say, yes, I condemn Nazis, he condemned Democrats. 
And he said that Democrats are launching a smear campaign against him. It was a very simple question. Do you condemn Nazis? And he said, I'm not going to address it. As a politician, this is like a question that you should hope to get. Do you condemn Nazis? (laughs) And then you could be like, yes, of course I condemn Nazis. Nazis have no place in Florida. Nazis have no place in America or anywhere in 2022. However, uh, Ron DeSantis instead got very defensive about the whole thing. And it's just a, you know, it's a bizarre kind of defensive posture to take. I mean, the fact is, is that there were these rallies and they were happening in his state and he refused to condemn them. We fought a war over Nazis. We won. We celebrated it. We should continue to celebrate deplatforming Nazis. It's crazy. You know, it's very much, I agree with you, Jordy, and it's very much part of the Trumpist, Trumpism strategy of DeSantis. And while DeSantis and Trump are clearly headed for being at odds against each other since DeSantis wants to run and Trump is pretending that he wants to run so he could keep raising money um, for his pack. More on that later. It's a very Trumpy thing to do that DeSantis has learned in kind of imitating that, which is literally don't even condemn anything. Like the same way, you know, when Trump had to be pressed about his views on the Proud Boys, you know, and the, the most he could muster was stand back and stand by. You know, this is a similar strategy that DeSantis is having. You look to what else is going in Florida, too. And this abortion ban, this 15 week abortion ban that looks very similar to the Mississippi law that's currently before the Supreme Court. And so there's a case in the Supreme Court. Now, we've talked about it on Midas Touch Legally F. We talked about it on this on this podcast called Dobbs v. Mississippi. And it's a Mississippi law that bans abortions after 15 weeks. There was oral arguments two months ago in December. Based on the oral argument, it looks like the Supreme Court is going to uphold Mississippi's 15-week ban on abortion. So now what's happening is other states like Florida, seeing the tea leaves, they're passing similar 15-week bans, believing that the Supreme Court's going to uphold a 15-week ban. So this ban on abortion is working its way through the Florida legislature and the Senate committee, and a vote was put before the Senate committee on whether there would be exceptions to the ban in cases of rape or in cases of incest. And the Florida Senate committee that oversees this has voted no that rape and incest aren't exceptions and that the 15 week ban even if you were raped or the victim of incest the victim of rape you cannot seek an abortion in the state of florida that's going through the florida committee that is a bill that will likely pass in florida and a bill that will be implemented in that state this isn't you know trying to create fear or panic about it you know we did a video uh, during the election. Brett, did that video have audio where if we play it for our audio listeners, they'll be able to get a sense of the video that we did? Um, or do you want to maybe just talk people through the video we did during the election where some people said, oh, you're just trying to, you know, you're just trying to scare people, the the, the abortion video we did? Listen, everything's going to be okay, right? Just let me do the talking, okay? Just never... right. Evening, ladies. License, please. Where are you headed? Oh, we were just out for a drive. Headed to the border? Oh, no, no. We were just going up to the... uh, Hey there. What's your name? Grace. 
Are you pregnant, Grace? Step out of the vehicle. She does not have to. Yes, yeah, she does. No, 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 no. Show me your hands no, on the wheels, please. Grace, step out of the vehicle. It's on the wheel. The video shows a mom and her daughter. You don't really know what the situation is when you're watching it at first. And the mom and her daughter are uh, traveling from one state, which bans abortion. And they're trying to travel into another state that doesn't ban abortion when they're pulled over by police asking them where are they going um, and basically threatening to imprison them for leaving the state together um, and seeing if the daughter is pregnant. Lots of people said, oh, you're just trying to scare us. I mean, you're it was a very hysterical. impactful video. You're being a stare. But that's exactly what is going to happen. The abortion bans being proposed are wildly unpopular when you poll people. Um, uh, people support the right of childbearing persons to choose by margins of 60 to 65% supporting the right to choose. Um, but uh, nonetheless, these radical right extremist states are going to pass these abortion bans, period. And the Supreme Court is going to uphold Mississippi. The Supreme Court may totally overturn Roe v. Wade, making states being able to do bans at six weeks. Um, and by the way, what I predict is going to happen is that the Texas rule SB8, which is the bounty hunter law, the Supreme Court did something so insidious because the, what the Supreme Court did was they ruled that SB8 could be challenged federally, but they remanded the case to the Fifth Circuit so that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is very conservative and radical right, I should say, would have the ability to then ask the Texas Supreme Court for a determination about standing of certain people to sue. So the short of what all that means is uh, the ability to challenge SBA would be delayed for about a year. And what's going to happen within that year? The Supreme Court's going to rule on Dobbs v. Mississippi. Hmm. What I predict is going to happen is once Dobbs v. Mississippi holds that you can have these abortion bans, Texas is going to repeal the um, the the led the bounty hunter law and then just issue a ban. So I predict that's what's going to happen. But that's where it's headed. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not no, trying we can't, to. We can't sugarcoat it on the show. I mean, we, we never sugarcoat it for people here. Like, we got to tell you exactly what's going on because these are all the results of, you know, these are long term results of decisions that were made years ago. You know, these go back. This goes back to the 2016 election. And I would argue it even goes back decades and decades. Republicans have been playing the long game on this for over 50 years. And it's about time that we as Democrats start waking up and start realizing that. All policy, elections, everything's not always decided in these two-year timeframes. Things are decided in decades. And Republicans go, okay, what could we accomplish? Well, let's keep pushing the same thing for 50-plus years until we get the result we want. While Democrats may say, oh, we didn't get the result we wanted within the first year, the first two years. Oh, I guess we're going to quit. I guess we're going to give up. That's why it's time that we need to put that attitude away. We need to shelve that attitude. And for those wondering the name of the video, the name of the video is Traffic Stop. Um, look it up on our YouTube channel. I mean, we got more hate for this video than probably any other video that we created. Uh, we were targeted by Breitbart. We were targeted by Daily Caller, you know, all, all the right people. But, you know, who said that this is outrageous, this would never happen in the United States of America. And not a year later, 
do we actually see this stuff happening in the United States of America? And Ben, you use the word insidious, and I think that's an interesting way to describe kind of what's going on in Republican-led states across the country. I mean, we're seeing a lot of insidious policies go through Republican legislatures because as of now, they just feel emboldened. They feel like they could get away with anything. They feel like they could rule with, you know, their small percentage of, of voters because they feel energized. And one example is in Iowa, they have Republicans introduced the bill that would put government installed cameras inside every classroom to live stream school activities for parents to spy on teachers and children at all times of the day. Kind of ironic that they're banning books like 1984 and then going ahead and installing cameras in schools so that parents could go and complain when they're being taught about uh, America's history and because they want to get rid of America's history. In Oklahoma, Republicans have filed a bill allowing parents to sue teachers for teaching content that is, quote, in opposition to closely held religious beliefs. They're fining teachers $10,000 per incident that's reported, and schools can face $10,000 a day fines per each banned book that isn't removed when it's requested by teachers. I mean, think about that standard. Any teachable, any teaching content that is in opposition to closely held religious beliefs. First, what is this religious standard in public schools? That shouldn't exist. Like, we shouldn't have religious standards in public schools. And then whose religion are we talking about here? You know, when you when you get down I, to it. I know, I know the answer. I don't have to really get down to it. I know whose religion we're talking about here, but yes. It, it's wild yeah. to me. When you, we say it all the time on the show. When you find yourself on the side of anti-teacher, anti-librarian, anti-books, anti-equality, you're on the wrong side. Wake up. Think about a school yeah. teaching sociology. Think about a school teaching biology, evolution, science, history, literature, geography, reading, you know, any of these things. Think about all of these subjects. All of these subjects at some point or another will conflict with religious teachings. It's just, it's just the fact of the modern world. And so you have a situation where a parent, if this bill passes, where a parent in Oklahoma could go, hey, I don't think my child should be learning about evolution in schools. I don't, I don't believe in that. I don't think that should be something that they're taught. And then if the teacher and the school doesn't stop teaching it because this parent is offended, then that teacher could be fined $10,000 a day and that school can be fined $10,000 a day. All this does is it, and this is, I think, the purpose of a lot of these bills, is it destroys the public education system. It makes it so that teachers who are otherwise incredibly qualified and eager to go to work no longer want to take these positions. Teachers are already treated horribly enough. They're severely underpaid. Yeah, think about the $10,000. That's likely a quarter of their salary, depending 100%. on the teacher. And instead of fining teachers $10,000 a day, we should look into giving teachers more money so they don't have to be reaching into their own pockets to buy school supplies for their kids or buy books or buy whatever it is that so their pencils, whatever you name it, so that their students need to learn. But instead, they're targeting teachers and they're targeting the public school system. And I think it's just horrible. And these are really fascistic tendencies at the end of the day, right? There's a reason why this radical extremist GQP supports Viktor Orban in Hungary, uh, why they're supportive of Putin. Like it's the same mentality of what they're really trying to create. Like they know with a free and fair election, you know, with the way our country, where most people in the country want to be, 
that they will never win an election, this radical extremist right wing. And so the way they're trying to do it is destroy education to try to historically, like what they want to create and what they've always been supportive of, but what they really want to create is an apartheid system and minority rule through manipulating and breaking the law and creating this white, generally white supremacist style leadership that looks like South Africa did during apartheid. Like that's what they want to create. And all of the signs and what they're creating is there. It's like the television show that everyone was like, oh, that can never happen here. Mm -hmm. Um, Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) Yeah. Handmaid's Tale. Like honestly, Handmaid's Tale in in some ways, it's, it's a very similar ideology to what exists here. That's why I had to stop watching the show, to be honest. Like I stopped watching a couple seasons ago because I was like, I feel like I'm living it a little bit. Like not that it's that extreme right now, but I feel like that's where the country's heading. Like it's, it became too realistic for me. No, there's no doubt about it. And, but you know, to everybody listening to this again, you are the solution. Like we shouldn't look to other locations of like, oh, that's happening. This is happening. Like you are the solution. You know, we always say this in each and every podcast, but like, I always want to reiterate it at these times where we go from talking about Biden who killed the ISIS leader. And then we transition to telling you about what this Republican failed state solution is like, you hold the power to make a big change here. Like you could change where this tide is headed. You can do that. You can do that by canvassing, do that by registering voters. You can do that by just spreading the message, spreading Midas touch videos to people like do not let this fascist takeover happen. Like you could be the difference. Anyway, I'll throw it to you, Brett. Got a lot more show coming. Excited to get into our interview with Allison Gill and excited to talk about a lot more topics that are incredibly important today. But first, let me tell you about a new sponsor that I am super excited about, and that is Trade. Trade. Coffee. Coffee. I knew you were going to use that sponsor first. Hell yeah. I'm yeah, so happy no, for you. Because I am. Uh, yeah, no, this is trade coffee. This is like so happy my, for you, Brett. It's <laughs> truly, truly one of my favorite moments as a, as a, as a podcast host, you guys, 90% of the coffee from the grocery store is actually stale. You heard that right. They don't want to, they don't want to tell you that, but the yeah. coffee that you know and love needs an upgrade. So instead of rebuying the same old, same old, let trade coffee send you something freshly roasted that you're literally guaranteed to love. What trade does is they sell the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you as often as you like whole or ground whether you're a coffee nerd like me or just want a better daily cup trades real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method you just take the coffee quiz to get started trade coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they will replace it for free trade has been featured by the new york times by wired gq and has delivered over 5 million bags of coffee and their subscription is no hassle you could skip shipment, change your frequency, or cancel any time. I've been absolutely loving Trade Coffee. I got my first bag a little over a week ago. It was a bag from Dune Coffee Roasters in Santa Barbara. It was incredible. Personally, I like light roast coffee, so I put in light roast. I put in that I wanted something that would be good for making espresso. I wanted some whole bean because I like grinding it fresh. They got me a bag that was really like one of the best bags of coffee I got. Yesterday, I got a new bag um, from Illinois, from an Illinois roaster. I'm super excited to dig into that once I finish my Santa Barbara bag. Barista Brett. 
Yeah, no, I, I made a macchiato this morning. I'm holding up my cup. <laughs> super, super, super excited. The coffee was incredible. And I want you to enjoy it as much as I do. For our listeners right now, Trade Coffee is offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash Midas. So get started. Take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash Midas and start your journey to the perfect cup. I want to talk about some other news that came out this week. So according to CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, unvaccinated people are 97 times more likely to die of COVID than those who are vaccinated and boosted. I'm just going to have to do my own research on this. (laughs) I mean, let's, but let's be serious here, Brett, for a second. Okay. Come on, Brett. Come on, Brett. Come on. Come on. Shame on you, Brett. Shame Shame on you. Shame. 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 Uh, Shut your mouth. Yeah, but but seriously, Brett, shame on you because shame. I'm trying to make a shame. I'm trying to make a what? Okay, I'm I'm being really shameful. So I'm trying to make a serious point here because to me, whenever you shame on, just shame on you, Brett. I'm just sorry. I just have to shame you one more time. <laughs> because let me tell you, all whenever right, you see right, the right, Joker boy, okay, shame on you. So whenever there's you see on Joe Rogan, when you see any debate, like to me, if I were to go on a show like that, I think all you need to basically say is, I'm not even having a debate with you. Unvaccinated people are 97 times more likely to die of COVID than those who are vaccinated and boosted. Okay. So stop talking to me about any other fact. There is no more debate period. At the end of the day, there's stats like that. We'll call the hospital. This isn't a debate. You know, I think when you go back to what Rogan said, though, about having alternative viewpoints and having other perspectives, though, what he said at the end of that statement, though, I think was what's most important. When you have a platform like that and you elevate, it's not just an alternative viewpoint. It is a wrong viewpoint. It is an erroneous viewpoint. You know, and then he gives other examples of uh things where he goes, well, the science was wrong on this, or the science was wrong on that. Look, the science was wrong on masking. No, it wasn't. The science was never wrong on masking. The data that continues to come out shows that maybe there's different types of masks that work better than others as you aggregate more data, but masking does work. And we see consistent data that shows that. And so finding these views that are part of an agenda to support people like DeSantis and support an overall ecosystem of unvaccinated people who are dying and kill and and you know killing others that that becomes the problem and Brett I sent you remember that TikTok I sent you is one of the most compelling ones I sent you recently about this influencer um, this YouTube influencer who was completely anti-vax And then, and there's so many videos like this, but this one like really hit me hard who then got COVID, went through the process where they had to be put on a ventilator, you know, and they're, you know, chronicled the experience and said, I just wish I would have gotten vaccinated. I wish I got boosted. I'm about to die. You know, please let everybody know to get, you know, to get vaccinated and sure, you know, you may, you may as an unvaccinated person be lucky and not die, but you're exposing yourself to the chance of death and you're exposing others to the chance of death. It's just so 
upsetting to me where this in the name of what too in the name of what owning the libs i mean really you're hurting yourself and your family by not getting vaccinated that's all that that's all there is to say and there was a story recently about that officer uh, robert lemay i think his name was um who fox held as a hero this was a guy who was on laura ingraham's program laura ingraham he was on laura ingraham's program and he was on like numerous fox programs uh just talking about his decision to refuse to get the vaccine yeah i mean he died he died of COVID. And Fox has not mentioned it since. They had him on TV every single night. He Held was him their as a hero. hero. Yep. He was the you know resistance against the the vaccine movement, and uh, and he died. And then Fox all of a sudden just moves on. And I think it just shows you how callous and how careless and how much these people don't give a shit about your lives. Um, I think the whole irony of this process the entire time is that Democrats, Democratic politicians, um, people like us, like. We seem to care more about the lives of Republicans than the people who they follow. And one of the things they also do, Brett, I don't know if you know this. So one of the things they use to scare people also is to say that police deaths have increased X percentage, like year over year under Democrats and under Biden. And then what they're counting, though, are the unvaccinated COVID deaths. Yeah. Number one cause of death of officers. And so that's what they use to scare people to say that more police have died because Fox has encouraged unvaccinated people. And then they use that to say that more police officers are dying. You know, another thing I want to talk about too, Brett, before bringing in Allison, um, our guest for today's podcast is I'm not sure if you saw this, but um, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch is going to be speaking at the Federalist Society, where he's going to be joined by um, Governor DeSantis. He's going to be joined by Mike Pence. Um, The media has been barred from this event. And so you have a Supreme Court justice who's about to rule to essentially overturn Roe v. Wade, meeting with the Federalist Society, a private group um, that influences Supreme Court policy with politicians, Pence and DeSantis there. And these are the people, by the way, Neil Gorsuch refused to wear a mask during the oral arguments about Um, Biden's vaccine requirements or testing requirements, which the radical right extreme court struck down, which was also part of this Federalist Society agenda. Federalist Society is this group of radical extremists who come from law school. They start trying to train you in law school to have these radical views and train you to become radical right extremist judges who espouse these like anti-diversity pro-military guns in schools, this real radical agenda. And so now you have, though, this merger of the Supreme Court, which has basically no credibility at this point, this current Supreme Court. I mean, it's, it's a complete sham Supreme Court. It's just so sad for me to, like, going to law school to see a Supreme Court that, like, is supposed to rule on precedent and, like, the law and take the Constitution seriously you know, it, it, it reminds me of, it's, I know I'm just going on random tangents here, but it reminds me of the Good Liars video where they were quoting Genesis and the section about um, like sexual intercourse that happened in Genesis and asking people if that book should be banned um, and going to like right wing states. <laughs> yeah, Did you good. see that? Yeah, that's yeah, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Play that clip. There's a book that we've seen that's in libraries and lots of schools that features a story of uh, two daughters having sex with their dad. Oh, wow. They get their dad drunk to have sex with him. Oh and this is like a book oh 
Should a book like that be in no. a school? No. No? No. Just get that out of the school. Absolutely. Why, why do kids need to read that? That book is actually the Bible. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no. No. <laughs> they clearly haven't read the Bible. They clearly haven't read the Constitution. Yet and they they desecrate the flag every day by putting Trump's face on the flag. Like it's just a complete sham radical part. Like it's if you were so let me ask you this, Ben, if you were 17, 18, you know, young Ben here going into college, you think you would have pursued law just looking at what a bunch of phonies we have at this upper echelon of, of the courts in the US? Is they're running such a mockery of of the profession that I know you hold so near and dear. I mean, it would have been very discouraging for me at that time. And I wonder what future law students think about it. Like on the one hand, you can't, you can't not go into the profession where you're someone who can make a difference in order to change it. You have to lean in. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like this radical right extremist court is going to overturn all the precedent we hold near and dear and try to prop up this you know, extremist, fascist uh, agenda. But I'm sure we have a guest who is certainly um, passionate about exactly what we're talking about. She's experienced retaliation firsthand. This interview was recorded previously while I was um, on film and I couldn't make it out, but Brett and Jordy did an incredible interview. But before we get into the Allison Gill interview, Brett, tell us about one of our show's partners. Uh, everyone's going to love Allison. Allison's great. And Allison's also, you know, in addition to having an incredible story, she's been on top of all the January 6th developments and has been just really insightful in the information that she's given and in her analysis. Um, so really excited for you to hear our interview with Allison. But first, let me tell you about Magic Spoon because it is the new year and Magic Spoon is perfect for meeting your goals, whether it's eating healthier or saving more time in your morning routine. Magic Spoon can fit into all of your New Year's resolutions. It is a way to stay healthy by eating the cereals that you know and love because we all know growing up you know cereal always one of the best parts of being a kid oh, you best. get all the good stuff but then you know at a certain point maybe I should give this up because it's really not all that good for me it's full of sugar and junk and all that stuff that you really shouldn't eat so when we're all trying to eat better Healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring, so Magic Spoon brings all those amazing flavors that you love and remember as a kid, but without all the bad stuff, and it's also amazing as a midnight snack, which I did the other day. I was like really craving something before bed. What'd you do? And What'd you go for? I was like, what do I do? Like, do I want to like dig into like ice cream or something unhealthy? And my <laughs> wife goes, and we, we have the Fruity Magic Spoon still, and so I did a bowl of the Fruity Magic Spoon, and it was really like the greatest the spot. before bed. Oh, wow. It, it, really, 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 really hit the spot. And it not only hit the spot, but I knew that I was going to bed not eating something gross and unhealthy because I'll tell you the facts on this. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving, and only 140 calories a serving, and it's keto-friendly, it's gluten-free, it's grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. So go ahead and build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle include cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. These are such incredible flavors. They are healthy 
and delicious and are perfect for a midnight snack like I had with the fruity flavor the other night. Ooh, it was very, very, very good. So go to magicspoon.com slash Midas to grab a custom bundle of cereal and start your new year off right. And be sure to use our promo code Midas at checkout to save $5 off your first order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. Listen to this. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason at all, they will refund your money. No questions asked. So remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Midas and use code Midas, that's M-E-I-D-A-S, to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. And now let's take a listen to our interview with Allison Gill. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. I am thrilled to have our guest on today. Today we have Allison Gill. Allison Gill, get ready for this intro, you guys. A veteran, a PhD, a former federal government executive, a comedian, an author. No, I'm not done yet. And a staunch advocate for the democratic resistance. But no, I'm still not done. She is also the executive producer and host of two of our favorite podcasts here at Midas Touch, podcast Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans. She runs the MSW Media Podcast Network, which just so happens to be a partner of the Midas Media Network, Allison Gill. Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast. Let's go. Whew, I don't know if I can live up to all that. Hello, I was told I needed to be here and camera ready, so I'm not even sure what we're going to talk about. But uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I, it's so great to be here. I love you guys. Love your show. Love all your shows. And I'm so happy that, that, we're, that we're teaming up. That is quite the resume. It's super exciting. Yeah, I feel like that. And that's the interview with Allison. Thank you so much. <laughs> we covered it. We covered it all. So, I mean, Allison, just reading that bio alone, I mean, you've had quite the journey here. Uh, I know you came from a military family. You decided to join the Navy. You worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs. You're a comedian. You now run one of the most successful podcast networks out there. I would just love what's the... Uh, What's the blinkest version of what's the quick version of that story? How did you get to where you are today? Nice blinkest reference. Like there that. we go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if they're today's a sponsor today, Brett. Today's show is brought to you by <laughs> Uh, so how did I get here? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, Navy and then from the Navy to, to working for, for the government, I took the oath of office the same day Obama did. Um, when he was on, when he was campaigning, he, he was encouraging people to be of service. Uh, but since I was already out of the military and a disabled veteran, I couldn't go back to the military. Um, and I was probably too old, but, uh, I said, you know, I'll go work for the Department of Veterans Affairs. So, we got to take the oath of office the same day, and that was kind of cool. My oath was a little different from his, but, you know, same idea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't faithfully execute the, you know, the pre duties of the president of the United States, but close. I mean, super close. Pretty close. Pretty close. Um, and then uh, around 2017, the Mueller investigation started, and well, around, exactly, in May of 2017, and around October... They started showing all these Watergate documentaries. And I'm like, you know, I bet there's going to be a lot of Mueller documentaries. I want to get in on this. I want to because I was going around to 10 different news outlets to get my Mueller news. And I was like, I bet everyone wants their Mueller news in one place. So uh, I decided to start a podcast. And the, the, the day that the Manafort and Gates indictments dropped, I set up a couple of crappy audio technicas in my kitchen and sat down and recorded the first episode. And um, then uh, the Trump administration investigated my podcast uh, and me, and then they pulled the old Mick Mulvaney trick where they moved my job across the country, and uh, I decided not to go. So uh, 
And the, the fun part, though, is, you know, I, you know, working for the federal government, you're bound by the Hatch Act. You can't fundraise for anyone. So right around March 2020, when they dismissed me, uh, finally, uh, I was uh, out from under the Hatch Act and uh, got together with a group of other podcasters. We raised half a million dollars for Biden and Harris and Ossoff. <laughs> You're and like, Warnock. okay, I'm not bound by the Hatch Act anymore. I'm going. I'm not going just in. I'm going all in on this. I'm jumping yeah. in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, oh, Trump, you're going to fire me. Well, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> yes. Let's pause on that for a moment because I, I don't want to gloss over that fact. You create what becomes one of the most successful podcasts out there covering the Mueller investigation. You were working for what eleven years at the Department of Veterans Affairs at this time. Yep. And then they catch wind of this podcast and like how do they 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 came to you and like said hey is this you like what what actually happened behind the scenes there where you went from okay i'm working for the department of veterans affairs i'm doing this podcast i'm trying to get valuable information out there and all of a sudden now my boss is saying that i'm in trouble and i and i'm fired well right so i'm like most government most government officials i'm very into ethics and not running afoul of any laws uh, and so I hired some lawyers to help me advise me on how to not break violate the Hatch Act and how to you know be ethically correct. And so I made sure that I only worked on the podcast on my in my free time nights and on weekends. And then in April of 2019, they flew out my new bosses flew out um, after the Trump administration had been put in. Uh, they flew out and said, you know, we're moving your job across the country. And I'm like, cool, I'm taking my 12 weeks then because I had 12 weeks of leave saved up. And I'm like, great, fire me. I'm taking 12 weeks, you know, and I thought they'd fire me before that 12 weeks was up, but they brought me back. And on August 6th, I got a phone call from my boss, which I thought was going to be, hey, welcome back. We'll catch you up on what's what's been going on since you've been out. But instead, they were like, <clears throat> this is a fact-finding investigation and blah, blah, oh blah. And, and, and I'm like, well, great. I need a lawyer. And they're like, no, you're not entitled to representation. They denied me representation twice. They could do that? No. And, <laughs> and so then I, I just started answering their questions because I hadn't done anything wrong. Sure. And it was so like lame, courtroom, like... But but Republican lame courtroom drama. They were like, OK, I'm going to need you to open up your laptop and go to MullerSheWrote.com. And so so I go and they're like, click on hosts. And I click on hosts and they're like, is that you? And I'm like, <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, really trying to hide it by having my big picture on the homepage with my name. Really, me. really stealthy, really flying under the radar here. You know me. <laughs> Yeah, AG, picture of me, Allison Gill. Way to go, Sherlock. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's me. And I'm like, wait, I really think I need a lawyer. And they're like, no, you know. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's me. And then the funniest part, I mean, I'm terrified too, because I'm I'm like, did I have I broken any rules? Have I sure. broken any rules? And they go, all right. And they they spell out this URL, which is a, a link to a Twitter post, and they spell the whole thing out like HTTPS mm-hmm. colon slash actually how, slash. That's actually how Ben does his uh, does his web searching. <laughs> and, and, and they're like uh, twitter.com slash four eight H Z hyphen, you know, the whole thing. And I'm typing it out. And then we get to it. And what it is, is it's a video of me live in Minneapolis for doing a live podcast for Muller She Wrote, sold out the Parkway Theater. And at the end of every show, I would get the audience to split into three groups and say, can I swear on your show? Absolutely. Yes, please. Encouraged. It's encouraged, in fact. I, yeah. I, I thought so. We were partners. It had to be that <laughs> 
And I, I divide everyone in three groups, and then I have them sing a four-part harmony of the word fucked. And we decide who's going to be <laughs> fucked that week. And that week, it was Manafort. And, uh, you know, so I say Manafort is, and they're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Uh, and then fuck. The, the mezzanine goes, <laughs> fucked. And then we end. And then everybody stands up, standing ovation. And, and they're like, is that you? <laughs> And I'm half terrified, half dying laughing because this is the video they've decided to show me. Um, I'm sure it's a lot funnier to look back on now than it was at the time being uh, investigated. It, it, yeah, it was kind of scary because I'm like, who the F am I? Like, who the fuck am I? Who, who? And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'm the premier podcast for the Mueller investigation in, in the world right now. But like, it just didn't seem like that because, you know, you're in your house and you don't know and uh but yeah they investigated they're like did you do this uh, were you on time you know you took leave and i'm like yeah i'm allowed to do whatever i want on leave and the thing is guys i was a comedian for 10 years before that like telling dick jokes and, and <laughs> out there like pr- like on television and you know doing you know with the improv like pretty big shows and stuff they never had a problem with that they never had a problem with the dick jokes until trump was the dick joke and then <laughs> Then they had a problem with it. So I sued them um, and uh, got my severance and um, because yeah, nice. they were going to withhold my severance and, and you know, yeah, one and now I don't have to work for them anymore. And then I raised a bunch of money and helped get them out of office. Kick, kick That's ass. That's the ultimate Sells. karma right there. Yeah, no, no doubt. Success is the best revenge, as we all know. And so was your impression at the time that this came from the top? Like, do you, they were clearly targeting you, not just because you had a podcast, but because of the nature of the podcast. Yeah, and I didn't find out until later, after a couple of FOIA requests, that they were actually monitoring my social media at and the podcast at the level of the Secretary of the Veterans Affairs. Oh, my gosh. And there was some stuff going back and forth between Office of Legal Counsel, and it was actually the Office of Legal Counsel um, that helped my boss with their investigation into the podcast. So it it did come from the very top levels. That's wild. And, you know, thinking back as a as a spectator to all of this, obviously, I was not intimately involved during any of this process. And we actually just recently met each other and, and developed our friendship. But it's Don't it. deny that we weren't intimately involved. <laughs> <laughs> I got to watch my words, I guess. <laughs> but it, it felt like Mueller, she wrote, it felt like that podcast like skyrocketed. It, it, it felt like it came out and it was like kind of an instant sensation. Is that how it felt for you when it came out? Is that just me looking back now at th- that time period? Yeah, no, it did. It blew us away uh, because, you know, as comedians, we have tons of comedian friends who start podcasts and our very first you know, kitchen episode with the shitty microphones. We or the very first day we got eighty downloads, eighty, and we were like, "Whoa!" Because most of our friends got like nine, and, and we're like, eighty, <laughs> hell yeah!" And then the next week it was a thousand, and then the next week it was twenty five thousand, and within within three months it was two hundred thousand, and it it really blew us all away how how quickly it grew. Um, and it and it maintained that level until, of course, after the Mueller report came out. And that's when we said, well, let's do a daily. Let's do a daily news show instead. And obviously your content was super you know, interesting for everyone. But what do you, what do you think that was that, that made it just explode so quickly? Was it like word of mouth? Were you doing a lot of social posting about this? Like what, what, what pop? Well, I think we were the only one. 
doing it, and it was th- three women comedians. So we were, and we were swearing, and nice. uh, but we were, you know, <laughs> bringing this, bringing the serious facts, and putting it all together in one place. And I think word of mouth got out there, and and we started to get guests like Joyce Vance and Barb McQuaid and Seth Abramson, like all these really uh, great guests who would then share it um, with their. Uh, followers who are very engaged and very plugged in. And I think that it just it just organically happened that way. I love it. It's such a great story. And it's really a testament to what we speak about a lot on the show that if like you have an idea out there, and if you have any other way of like, you know, how could I how do I think I could help democracy or or push the ball forward? Like, just do it. Like, if you want to paint, you know, start painting. If you want to do music, just do music and don't think about it all that much. I mean, you probably laugh now, Allison, at the equipment you were using in, in your kitchen that first day. And, you know, we were no different when we started out with, with Midas Touch. And now I love what you're doing with the Daily Beans. You have become really, to me, one of the, like, the foremost experts, one of the most invaluable sources of information for all things January 6th. And I follow your feed very, very, very closely for the latest updates, and not only the updates, but your analysis on it, which I think is always spot on. So let's dig into mm-hmm. the current January 6th committee updates. I want to specify, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday. I guarantee by the time we finish recording this episode, (laughs) there will be about 20 more stories that broke. I guarantee by the time this airs, there will be another 150 stories that have broke. But let's get into the latest that we know right now. Breaking news is that January 6th committee member Jamie Raskin says the timeline for the start of public hearings is most likely April. We've been hearing that it's going to be early um, this year, early 2022. First, uh, what are your thoughts on the timeline? That's kind of when I expected it. I mean, they have now over 475 witnesses, uh, tens of thousands of, of documents to review and hours of video. They added 40 people to their staff with this the new tranches coming over from the archives, probably to tape them back together because Donald Trump tore them up. Um, so, you know, to to... To go through all that, this is just a massive, massive investigation. And to be able to go through all that, pick out what you need, the important parts, put it, you know, put it together in a presentation, it's, it's, it's going to take a minute. And so, uh, you know, it's the same, uh, virtually the same timeline as the Watergate hearings. Uh, and so, you know, they're very thorough. And, and I honestly, all of the great legal minds that are on that committee and working in tandem with that committee... I trust them and I trust that they know what they're doing as far as the timing goes and as far as putting the case together goes. So I I back whatever decisions they make. And so, you know, not only is it important that they research and get all the information, but I think the importance of these public hearings is that they put on a little bit of a show. Um, A lot of people look back to Watergate and they say that those public hearings were the things that helped finally shift public perception in the way that it needed to shift. What do you think that these hearings need to deliver to the American people? Or are we just so polarized at this point that they might not even be able to have that effect at this point? No, I, I think they'll have that a similar effect. And I don't think it'll be the same because we didn't have social media and Fox News and everything back, you know, back during the Watergate hearings. Everyone was just sort of, I wonder what's going on. And then they come out and tell you what's going on. And everyone's like, whoa. <laughs> uh, but because of... Uh, you know, Fox News and social media, I think the people who are so far right, uh, Trump supporters are just entrenched. And now it's it's to the point of cult like. And I know you guys have a show with Dr. Hassan. And it's when I when I spoke to him, I was like, what do we do? He's like, well, the 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 worst thing you can do is tell them they're in a cult because they're just going to dig their heels in more. And so I don't think that those are the minds that are going to change. The minds that need to change are the middle, the independents, the fence sitters. 
those are the folks that need to know, you know, we, we're really in the weeds in this, but there's a lot of people out there who aren't familiar with yeah. exactly what happened leading up to January 6th. All these seven state conspiracy, all these this hub and giant hub and spoke conspiracy that we're that's just we're we're learning more about every day, and that's what needs to be presented, and it needs to be presented in a in a digestible way, uh, a, a way that doesn't put people to sleep. Um, and so, I mean, that was one of the the reasons we started the Mueller She Wrote podcast. It's like this stuff is snoozeville. We need to you know get people interested in it. <laughs> And so that, I think, is what is going to have the most impact uh, on, on the public. And then, of course, the referrals to Department of Justice, if they're not already, which I think they are, investigating all this. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. And I think it's an important point also, you know, whenever we hear, well, why hasn't the January 6th committee made any arrests yet? That That's not their job, right? They yeah. This is a fact-finding committee. And at the end of the day, they will make referrals to DOJ based on the information that they find. Yeah, these hearings are their sole job. These to put this hearing these hearings on is that's their sole purpose. One of the interesting things I saw uh, Wednesday morning was that Jeffrey Clark actually testified in person uh, before the January 6th committee. Um, our listeners may remember that Clark was appointed acting head of the DOJ civil division in September 2020. He tried to overturn the results of the election with Trump. If you watched our coup in plain sight video, he was the one who drafted that phony letter to Georgia that just flat out lied and said that there was a uh, fraud in their election and that they should consider, uh, you know, re redoing it, basically. Uh, why do you think he's speaking and what testimony do you think Clark uh, could provide? Well, he was subpoenaed a while ago and then he was like, I'm sick, bro. I can't come in. And they're like, OK. And then they rescheduled it. He's, and he's like, I'm still sick, bro. <laughs> and, he, and I'm like, OK. And now they finally got him to come in uh, and because he doesn't want to be because he he would definitely be referred for contempt, criminal contempt of Congress. And so I don't know if he's going to plead the fifth on a bunch of stuff. There's also the complication that he might be cooperating with the Department of Justice or the Department of Justice's ongoing inspector general investigation into Trump former DOJ officials that started on January 5th of last year. Uh, January 25th of last year, January 5th, that'd be weird. We know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> January it's one of the 25th. crazy things, right? Like uh, underneath all this, the DOJ kind of is, has to investigate itself um, yeah. because of all the people at DOJ who were working to subvert the election results. Yeah. And so he might not be able to say certain things if he's if he's been working with or has testified to Department of Justice or a grand jury, a federal grand jury. Uh, and so, you know, we'll see what happens. I think a lot of it will come to light when we find out today how long he's been in that room. Uh, because, you know, we've had people testify for seven hours, eight hours, like around the Pence, you know, the Pence team. Yeah. And it's like they didn't invoke the fifth for eight hours. So <sighs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. And then, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not uh, a lawyer, so I'm not quite sure that if the DOJ doesn't want you to tell the committee stuff, if they have you invoke your Fifth Amendment right, or if they just have you, just have you say, I, I, I can't talk about that because of an ongoing right. investigation. Right. And I think that's an important point that you made, that there are a lot of people right now sitting there for eight in eight, eight plus hours uh, speaking with the committee. And these are not necessarily names that you've heard of. They're not like, you know, it's not like Mike Pence or Donald Trump Jr., but they are people who are in the room, people with firsthand information who could provide all the testimony and information that prosecutors that investigators need at the end of the day. And so in the past few days, we saw who you referenced, I believe, Mark Short 
Pence's former chief of staff, Greg Jacob, an attorney who worked for Pence. He met with the committee for at least eight and a half hours. And uh, I saw Daniel Goldman, who was an attorney at the lead council uh, during the House impeachment inquiry. Uh, he said that the January 6th committee is getting cooperation from nearly all their targeted witnesses and have a very full picture of what went on behind the scenes. This is bad news for obstructionists because they are letting others tell their story. And obstruction only works if everybody does it. Your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. That's my thought. I mean, that's exactly it. And, you know, with the subpoena of the 14 uh, forged electors, uh, you know, where they want to speak to them, if just one of them says, oh, we knew he lost, then the whole the whole the jig is up. Right. So the thing that fascinates me is, you know, when we were covering the Mueller investigation and then the Mueller report came out, I was like, there's not much in here that we didn't catch. I'm wondering if the same is true for, you know, for those of us super in the weeds on January 6th, you know, with all these things that we've been looking at, or if or if what we've seen is just the tip of the iceberg and they're going to blow. I, Jamie Raskin has said it's going to blow the roof off um, what what you're about to find out. But, I, you know, I'm wondering how much do we already know and how much don't we know and what are we going to find out in April? I kind of am in the camp of we, what we know is the tip of the iceberg. And every time one of these stories breaks, it's something that the January 6th committee probably knew months ago (laughs) at this point. I understand people's frustrations. Um, You know, I I empathize with them. I I, I get it. I get that being told, you know what, they have to, you know, have a tight case. They need everything buttoned up. I I get that that's not always the answer that people need to hear. And I think people get so frustrated because of the brazenness of Trump and Republicans who just keep criming, apparently. They just keep going out there and committing more crimes just in plain sight. Keep criming, that's a new one. They keep keep crying. Oh, that's what we've been saying after. <laughs> we, 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 we did a meme a long time ago with uh, like from uh, Mean Girls, but it was like Manafort and Gates and Trump and the cards. Just get in, loser. We're going crying. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's perfect. I mean, and we saw it this past weekend. We saw Trump at a rally promising pardons for people. I mean, I know you're not an attorney, but do you think that is an additional criminal offense? What do you think of the Trump strategy right now of just committing more crimes as a private citizen to try to cover up his previous crimes? Yeah, as we used to say, throw it on the obstruction pile. Uh, <laughs> I don't think... Think I've ta- according to the former U.S. prosecutors, the former U.S. attorneys that I've spoken to, that in itself, within the four corners of that, is probably uh, very tough to prove as, as a criminal act of witness tampering or um, obstruction of justice. But if included in a larger, uh, t- what what they call totality of the evidence, uh, that it could be used to prove uh, yeah. obstruction and intent and. I understand everyone's frustrations too, and I have them in some areas, and in other areas, I'm I'm more patient. But uh, these are real and reasonable concerns because democracy is hanging on by a thread here. And so, what I've been encouraging everyone to do is instead of taking you know taking it out on your fellow Dems on social media, okay. just Google contact the Justice Department. They have a email thing you can send in digitally. You can call them and leave them messages. You could tell them what you think. Don't tell me. Uh, tell them. And that I, if we can flood the Department of Justice with calls from the public, I, th- I don't know that it would ha- what impact it would have, but it would certainly have more impact than yelling at me about it on Twitter. Yeah, I think at least like, you know, above all, we have 
at least everybody, you know, on our side, so to speak, wants justice, you know, we, and we all do. Yeah. it's a debate about whether should Trump have been arrested, literally whisked off the stage on January 6th and taken and thrown in a car or is the process happening as it should. But at least on all those sides, no matter where on the spectrum you are, we all want justice here. We are not the lawless party here who is just running around committing crimes. But one of the things that you mentioned that you've been critical a little bit of is that you tweeted, I asked the Justice Department and our U.S. attorney at USAO DC to bring the obstruction of justice charges laid out in volume two of the Mueller report or to explain your declination to do so. Failure to consider it is a dereliction of duty. So why do you think Garland never brought these charges that were laid out for him in the Mueller report, these obstruction of justice charges? Well, there's still time under the statute of limitations. Um, the, uh, the, the, I think the most prosecutable obstruction charges, there's four of them, and they all have to do with McGahn. McGahn gave his testimony in May, several months after Merrick Garland even came into the picture, but also several months before we got a U.S. attorney in D.C., Matthew Graves, who would be the one to bring those charges. But also we have to consider that Barr, whatever you think of him, looked at those and decided it was not, it did not amount to obstruction of justice. And there's a memo about it, but the DOJ won't release it. And, uh, and so it's, it's probably more difficult to overturn the previous attorney general's determination about the criminality of obstruction of justice than it is to just pick it up and run with it if he didn't do anything. Right. Uh, and so I don't know if they're considering it or why they're considering it. But one of the important caveats there is that, you know, or explain your declination to do so. If they just decide not to and don't tell everyone why, because if they decide not to, there's going to be a reason. If they do that and don't tell anyone why, uh, that's a problem, I think, for just public perception. Um, there might be, again, a very good reason. Now, I don't think that it, it, there might be people who don't buy it, but, you know, I think that there, that that's an important thing to do. And, and then also that's one of the things that, uh, you know, with contacting the Justice Department, I'd contact them all the time and say, do this. <laughs> and, and it's failure to consider it would be a dereliction of duty, meaning, hey, look at it. And if you've got legal reasons that you can't overturn former AG Barr's, you know, de determination, just let us know. But let us know. We're not nine, you know. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's something I've been on about for, for quite some time. And and this, this also could, the, the statute of limitations might not be up in May. There were pardons dangled. And when those pardons were given, that's a continuation of that they kept criming. He kept criming. <laughs> And that's not then the statute of limitations clock doesn't start ticking till then. And we don't know what the decision on the pardons was, whether or not that was obstruction. So we're kind of all in a holding pattern. And that's why it's frustrating. The, yep. the slow moving pace of justice mm -hmm. and the silence and politics abhors a vacuum. So it we're all very impatient to see this happen. And it's getting long in the tooth. Uh, but uh, I'll give you a timeline. If this goes the same timeline as the Mueller investigation, because people don't like to compare it to Watergate because that was 1972 and this is a very different time. But if we compare it to the Mueller investigation, Mueller was appointed in May. First indictments come out November 1st, October 31st, November 1st. If it's true that the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. stood up their politically charged grand jury to look into heavy events, not the boots on the ground guys, but the higher ups uh, like Sidney Powell, Rudy and, uh, and Mike Flynn. If that timeline is the same, then the first indictments, not on Trump, but like 
Powell, Rudy, that would all start happening in March uh, if if those timelines line up. And this is a much broader yeah. investigation. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but it it's it's getting to feel like it needs to be soon. I say this to the brothers all the time. It's like, I don't know how schools teach Watergate with the severity of the issue that it was brought to us when we were learning it growing up. And then how do they teach what's going on right now with Trump and, and January 6th? I mean, what are your thoughts there? Like, how will people remember this time 10, 15, 20, 50 years down the line? I don't know. But if they do documentaries about it, I want to be in it. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be, I think, the January 6th, uh, I think the coup, the coup in plain sight, which, by the way, the video that you did is amazing. Thank you. uh, Is going to sort of drown out the Mueller investigation. It's like Mueller investigation was bananas but it's peanuts compared to the coup and so i think that if you look at the way adam schiff talks Mm -hmm. that's the way i think history gets remembered Mm. his his the way he talks remember that speech he gave on the floor on the well of the senate you know he he does not care he's this you do your thing and i'm like that that right there that's what history is going to is going to remember. And that's how I think it's going to be written, provided we can keep our democracy, because otherwise it's going to be written by the winners. That's an excellent point as well. (laughs) I want to take a step back. So it felt like the Pence team was almost eager to testify, right? They spent however many hours it was. Now, do you think uh, like that had anything to do with these crazy statements that Trump keeps releasing about Pence? Like his team's like, holy shit, if he's going to go after Pence this hard, he's going to eventually hit us. We're all going to get wet from this lunatic saying that the VP could have overturned the election. So, I mean, what are your thoughts there? Were they eager to testify against Trump? Yeah, and I think that that's, and and they wouldn't do it without Pence's okay. Uh, Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping Pence is realizing somewhere, like, nobody likes me. Zero (laughs) people like me. The independents don't like me. The Democrats don't like me. The Trump base certainly hates me. I can't get them back by defying, you know, helping, you know, tell the story about what went on. But if I do, I could be the John Dean of this whole thing. I could be the hero. I could get six more people to like me. I won't be one of them. (laughs) But he would be in a much better place. To do that, the only thing is, is he strikes me as a coward. I'm not sure if that's going to be, you, you, you know, you can't be a coward and a hero at the same time. You have to admit <laughs> that you've done something wrong. And it's, it seems really difficult for him to do that because right. I, I truly think he, he thinks he's done the right thing. But on the other hand, I would be willing, to, because Pence refused to go along with this, even though he had to get Dan Quayle's input on it, uh, because he refused <laughs> to go along with this coup, with the seven state conspiracy at least, I would be willing to grant him immunity in all this because it would I don't I can't see any crimes he committed other than like misprision of a felony, like knowing somebody was committing a crime and not saying anything. But I would be I'd be fine if he got immunity to blow the roof off this entire thing. We would even help you, Mike, uh, with your fly situation. We get it all covered. Don't you worry. Do some videos. <laughs> no, for we'll you. make a deal. We'll scrub that video from the internet. And blow the lid off this whole situation. I'll delete all my tweets about the fly, Mike. If you, Reputationdefender.com. <laughs> <laughs> is that another sponsor? <laughs> no, I hope not. What a bracket that is. <laughs> As we bring this interview home, uh, you know, what would be your kind of parting words to those uh, t- Twitter activists, I guess you might want to call it? who are just nonstop calling for Garland's head, 
Garland must resign. This is a joke. But what, what, what would you say to them to try to reel them in and say, hey? I'd say you sound, well, I'm not very good at getting to people, getting people to change their minds if they're dug <laughs> in. But those are GOP talking points. Mm. You know, that's disinformation uh, type stuff, like on that level. Um, and it's being exploited by bad actors uh, to divide the, the Democratic Party. That's why I'm like, hey, Call in with your grievances. Don't don't take it out on yeah. other Dems. We got to get together. We have a big election coming up. We can't afford to be angry at each other over stuff like this, because I'll tell you what, I promise you an arrest of Donald Trump tomorrow will not make this go away. Yeah, it won't make this go away. It won't bring us voting rights. It won't win us the 2022 midterms. It won't save democracy. It'll help and it'll help deter things in the future. And it's absolutely necessary to hold those accountable. Um, that, that that did this. But, you know, you arrest Trump tomorrow. He's arraigned on Monday. He's out on bail and doing other rallies, dangling more pardons, saying absolutely insane shit. And so, you know, we I think it and it would shut other people up, I think, like it, it, yeah. he would lose more base. But it's it's I believe it's going to happen. And I'm hopeful that it's going to happen because if it doesn't, that's it. The, the the alternative is unthinkable. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, and I think it's a, an important point that you're kind of getting at, which is God, nobody <laughs> out there. <laughs> nobody, Brett always no, knows a way to slightly insult our guests without realizing it. No, 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 no. That's not what I meant. What we I, were what never I mean, intimate, and what you were kind of <laughs> yeah, trying I, to I say. I start with intimate, and I and I end and I end with a dig. Uh, no, what I, what I'm trying to say is like, don't. I feel like too often we rely on others to save us. You know, throughout oh, yeah. the Mueller report, it was like, Mueller's going to save us. And, and people so, think that was me. And I have like a hundred tweets where I'm like, Mueller isn't the Messiah. Yeah. We are the, our, we had a whole t-shirt. We are the Mullers we've been waiting for. It's us. <laughs> yeah. Know? And so that's true. Like we are the ones we are waiting for here. Like it, it sounds corny, but that's the truth. Like we are the ones who are going to decide if Democrats win in 2022 and we could either sulk and be upset about the status of investigations or start putting powers on politicians that they don't have and demanding the democrats start i don't know breaking out handcuffs and arresting people which isn't a thing that legislators do or we could get to work and we could organize and we could fight for voting rights and we could fight to raise the minimum wage and we could fight for all the components to build back better that we all wanted and and infrastructure and getting rid of covid and, and doing all this good stuff that's actually going to help people so and biden's not going to fire garland he's not there's just no way and we worked hard to elect biden and biden appointed garland and you know i i've seen a lot of things too like he's a federal federalist society uh, guy yeah, and they yeah, put up that. his it, i'm like yeah well sotomayor kagan Breyer, they all Everyone have speaks at that event yeah <laughs> they all have the same they all have profiles on on the federalist society website too uh, I, I think he's a good dude. I think he's going to do the right thing. I wish he would hurry up and I wish he talked more about it. Um, not not to reveal, uh, you know, investigatory issues. But, you know, like the, like the thing he came out on January 5th and said, I'm doing stuff. We're doing things. And right. then we got seditious conspiracy charges, which blew me away. I underestimated him for that. So, I, you know, I don't want to say be patient because that's condescending. Your Your concerns are real and reasonable. But I do think it's happening and it has to be because like I said, otherwise. <laughs> mm. Well, let's hope that justice comes uh, swiftly and with force. Allison Gill, 
thank you so much. I want to thank you for everything you do. Uh, I want to thank you for your amazing podcast. Everybody, make sure you check out Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans. Uh, where should our folks follow you, Allison? Uh, most of my loudmouth stuff comes out from uh, Twitter at Muller She Wrote, M-U-E-L-L-E-R. But I'm also at Allison Gill and uh, at Daily Beans Pod. Fantastic. And it has been a pleasure to be partners with your MSW Media Network. Um, and thank you for all you do. Allison Gill, thank you so much for joining us on the Midas Touch podcast. Thank you so much. It's been amazing. Brett, Jordy, that was a great interview. I'm a little worried. I don't How know do if we I'm do going... without you? Yeah. Before you, you answer that question, me. here's the thing. Okay. When, okay. For whatever reason, and you know you have this effect on me, when we're doing interviews with all three brothers, I get very tense. You make me nervous, man. I don't know why. I think it's because you're going to make fun of me, which is why I was a little bit mean to you in the beginning of this episode. I was trying to overcompensate for that. And so if you notice during that interview, I was a little bit more loose. I was, you know, I was getting, I was throwing my sharp elbows, as we like to say, and I was getting my voice in there. Well, Jordy, here's what I'll tell you. And, you know, I, I could tell that this episode, I feel like you've been a little bit more energized because I know that you've been having the product from our next sponsor, Thesis. This is that's uh, actually a great point. I have right been, because have you've been, been your your energy is definitely up this episode. And I'll say to anybody out there that's struggling with focus, energy, or motivation, it's not you. It's your brain, Jordy. It's your brain. Synthesis helps you take control of your mind to create habits that last and get a little help if you need a boost. Thesis makes personalized supplement formulas that are specifically designed to boost cognitive function. It's based in the science of nootropics, which are natural and powerful ingredients. Think caffeine, ginseng, B12. These increase productivity, focus, energy, and mental clarity. So you feel energized without the crash. You cut through that brain fog to think clearly or get a little help with motivation to find your flow. And it's such an easy process. When I went on Thesis, I just took their three-minute quiz, and Thesis recommends high-quality nootropic formulas that are unique to you and your goals. So you may say, hey, you know, I get tired at, you know, in the middle of the day. I have trouble waking up in the morning. Whatever it is, you tell Thesis all the information, and they will send you products that are designed to fit your needs. Over 60,000 entrepreneurs, lawyers, engineers, busy professionals, and parents have used Thesis to get better results at work and home. So imagine what you could do with Thesis. And right now, Thesis is offering our listeners 10% off your first starter kit when you visit takethesis.com slash Midas. That's takethesis.com slash Midas, M-E-I-D-A-S. Take the quiz, discover your unique nootropic combination, and save 10% on your first starter kit. That's takethesis.com slash Midas. Make sure to use our URL to let them know that we sent you and the results will speak for themselves. I promise you. Ben, Jordy, what's next on the docket? Next on the docket... Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. What's this event, Brett and Jordy, that we have Trump and Pence will be speaking out together? I need to find out more about this. This just sounds so, 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 so insane to me. So there is some sort of event happening Friday in Florida. It's a GQP event that's about, and this is 
from the invite or whatever statement they made. It's about, quote, constitutional principles and the rule of law. And apparently you have Mike Pence and Donald Trump both speaking at this event, obviously now like mortal enemies or I don't, I don't know how you what do you even want to consider them. Um, as we spoke about with Allison, it's been very curious recently how many Pence aides and Pence attorneys, people who are very closely in Pence's circle, are now speaking with the January 6th committee. And advisors say that Pence is not going to back down at this event, and they say that he is going to defend his decision to certify the results of the 2020 election at the event. So we will be monitoring this closely. We will see what happens. Obviously, Trump in the past year has, uh, you know, just a year ago, he uh, wanted his followers to hang Mike Pence, and he uh, has been threatening Mike Pence ever since. And so, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But what we know right now is that the Republican Party is the party of Donald Trump. It is the party of lawlessness. It is the party of fascism. And I bet when Mike Pence speaks and says these things, I bet he gets booed. Um, I get it, bet he gets booed really hard for uh, saying, you know, what the law is, that he had no ability to overturn the results of a free and fair election in the United States of America. And uh, Republicans don't want to hear that. They want full fascism. Pence is such a coward. I could totally. see him. I could see him come Friday, really softballing it, really not going into that bread. I could picture him just, you know, bowing down once again to dear leader Donald Trump. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens at this loser palooza. I want to talk more about some January 6th. Uh, committee updates, Brett, as you mentioned, as Allison spoke about uh, VP Pence's, former VP Pence's staff speaking to the January 6th committee. We'll also talk about Stuart Rhodes apparently speaking to the January 6th committee. But here's a point that I want to make. You know, the Republican Party, because they are so spineless, they are programmed to follow the fascist leader because the senators and members of Congress have no principles. They have no true beliefs other than their racism and their view of raw power. But here's the thing. If they were true leaders and advanced an agenda that held Trump accountable and were courageous and didn't fear, oh, he's going to say bad things about me. Oh, my God, he's going to call me a nickname that's hurting my feelings. Oh, he's going to call me lying Ted. He's going to call me a rhino. Like that actually causes them fear. Like they have an actual complex where they need to follow the autocrat who yells at them. But if you just look at what's going on, the Republicans who voted to impeach Trump, the nine House Republicans, they've actually raised significantly more money than their competitors who are these you know, GQP extremist candidates. If you look at it, leading the pack, you have Liz Cheney. She pulled close to $2 million during the last three months, bringing her yearly total to $6.5 million. And Harriet Hagman, Cheney's Trump-backed challenger who launched her bid in September, she reported only close to half a million dollars in contributions last quarter, bringing her entire total to 7.45, so less than a sixth, like a one-seventh of the funds that Liz Cheney raised. And that is repeated in many other races, like Representative Peter Meha 
of Michigan, who brought in eight times what his Trump-endorsed primary challenger secured last quarter. I could go on and on with the names, but you get the point here. Like The Republican Party would actually probably poll better if they advanced, if they held Trump accountable. That's what's kind of just so strange about this thing, but they're leaning in because they're afraid of that 20% of their base or 30% of their base that do all this performative, loud school board stuff. Like they can't be true leaders and, you know, kowtowing to terrorists. I mean, Stuart Rhodes, the Oath Keepers, you know, Oath Keepers is a terrorist group that brought arms to Washington, D.C. that was instrumental in supporting the insurrection and was prepared to use the weapons that they had stored at a comfort inn a few miles away from the Capitol upon, you know, if, if they didn't get in peacefully, that's what they were prepared to do. But now we learn that Stuart Rhodes is speaking with the January 6th committee. They've worked out a deal where he's taking the fifth amendment right against self-incrimination on everything during the period before and leading up to the insurrection. So from about November 3rd, through January 6th. They're not asking him questions on that. They, they want to ask him questions, but he's not going to provide answers per his attorney. So he's just going to plead the fifth. Um, but he is answering questions that predate the insurrection planning and period, which is interesting. So the foundation of the Oath Keepers, who are the board members, who are their relationships with politically, which I think is very interesting. Now, he's obviously cooperating because he's going to want leniency with respect to any sentencing that he faces or experiences as a result of his criminal prosecution taking place right now. But I think it's an interesting development that he's at least talking candidly, allegedly, about what took place before the insurrection in terms of what the Oath Keepers are, what their leadership structure is. What would be really interesting to me too is, yeah, I mean, all of that is very fascinating. I'd be curious to know if he knows who that bomber was, who who laid the bombs in DNC headquarters there in, in DC, the one that nobody in the FBI can or has been able to identify. That would be a pretty big bombshell. But he's going to plead the fifth on that. That was my whole point. So he's not answering any questions related to the insurrection. I wasn't, I wasn't listening to Ben. I'm sorry. Leaving him, he stays in the pot. Stays in the pot. Yeah, but so and Ben, though, I'll I'll go back for a second and I'll tell you why Republicans hold these extremist views and and why they go this route. I mean, it's gerrymandering. It's because they're in these very, for the most part, many of them are in these very safe Republican seats, and they're concerned not about general elections, but they're concerned about primaries, and they know that they have to out crazy the other Republican in order to win the primaries to then win the general, which basically the Republican is guaranteed to do once they win the primary. So that's what they're concerned about. And they're also concerned about this gigantic war chest that Trump has amassed with the super PAC. I mean, it's been announced that Trump has over $120 million in the bank for a super PAC, $120 million. Yet the RNC is paying this guy's legal fees and he's got a pack with $120 million in the bank. And as doing incredibly shady things with the money, including shortly after the January 6th committee began, Trump gave $1 million to a nonprofit in which Mark Meadows is affiliated with, uh, which many are now saying, oh, yeah, that's a blatant example of hush money. That's mm-hmm. a blatant example of him giving money because he does not want Quid Mark Meadows to Quid speak. Quid pro quo. 
can't stop criming, as we said with Allison Gill, and he can't stop quid pro quoing. And now the January 6th committee, you know, getting news of this, they say that they are actively looking into this development. It's just another thing to add to the pile. Um, as uh, Allison Gill said, add it to the obstruction pile. Well, one of the things there too, that's interesting about the headline though, he gave 1 million to Mark Meadows, but I think he only gave a total of 1.35 million to like other organizations and has kind of either hoarded the rest or just paid expenses. So like he hasn't really dished it out yet, but it's just one of the ways he's holding it over people's heads. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And one of the things about Stuart Rhodes that I think we should mention also, so Stuart Rhodes, who we were just speaking about previously, the Oath Keeper, um, many of you know his story that he is the guy who shot his own eye out. Um, that's why he he wears an eye patch because all he's these a people- gun instructor who, say, who shot his own eye out. All these people who say that they are, you know, responsible gun owners are the people who are the least responsible gun owners. And Stuart Rhodes is one of those people. And so we have a friend, Tony Michaels. I don't know how many of you guys listen to the Tony Michaels podcast, Love but Tony. so he on Friday, if you're listening to this on Friday, on Friday, he's going to drop an interview and we're going to drop the clip from the Midas channels because uh, he has an exclusive interview with Stuart Rhodes's estranged ex-wife and son where they explain the actual true story as to how Stuart Rhodes shot his eye out. So I'll play you like the little short teaser clip of it right now, but look for that clip tomorrow on the Tony Michaels podcast and on the Midas Touch uh, channels. There is a story going around that he shot himself in the eye. Um, I don't know how that is, what it is. Do you guys know the story? And can you tell us the story of how Stuart came <laughs> to have an eye patch? Okay, this is three stories. There is the event. Okay. And the facts that happened on, there's also the story he told there's, which is mostly a lie. There's also what I believe actually happened. And it took me 20 years to piece it together. And then there's the second event, which is why he stopped wearing a prosthetic eye. Um, I guess I'll start with him shooting himself in the face. All right. So I look forward to it. <laughs> just, to and then just story. to be clear, cause Brad said it a little bit quickly. These are strange family members. That's his wife and, and son who they no longer speak with him. Cause the guy's a fucking lunatic. Um, I don't want you to get the sense that we're propping up his, you know, his family that they love or whatever. They don't like this guy and they want to speak out against them every step that they can. I'm all for family members talking shit. Well, I'm excited for that interview. <laughs> I'm excited to exclusively release that interview. More information on the January 6th committee. The National Archives has informed President Trump that they will be turning over the vice presidential records of Mike Pence. Um, and they previously informed Trump that the presidential records would be turned over. The Supreme Court has already ruled um, with respect to Trump's records that he doesn't have any immunity, you know, to not turn over these records. And so it'll be interesting to see, knowing Trump, he'll probably file a frivolous challenge to this, but there's like already a ruling that his own records were. And so clearly the, the VP records, you know, are going to be turned over. So interested to see what happens there. And then finally, other January 6 news to talk about is that Trump was considering pardoning all of the January 6th terrorists. And the one thing that they had trouble figuring out before it was too late was like how they would actually go about writing the pardon because like, would it just be someone who held the Trump sign? Would you then be pardoning these people like for everything? How would you then go about like describing the events that took place of what you're pardoning for that? If you're claiming that like ultimately Trump decided against it because 
he thought it would hurt potentially his own interests because why would you be pardoning them at all if he's claiming that nothing illegal happened? Um, but he was really considering and wanted to do it, but for it negatively impacting him. Um, but he basically said, and this is his belief, whether him or some other radical fascist type of GQP leader becomes president in 2024, that they would just pardon the January 6 people. And Trump said as much, you know, in his speech, he's just saying it out loud, what he's going to do. Like he's talking about the obstruction and, and, um, and pardoning these terrorists and whether it's Trump or whether it's frankly, like, I think DeSantis would pardon the terrorists. Like, absolutely. Look, look at, look at what DeSantis is doing in Florida with other policies. Like if it's someone like that, they're going to pardon the terrorists. It's actually, period. it actually worked out in Trump's favor that he was able, that he was unable to figure out the language to pardon these January 6 terrorists, because now he gets to run on that platform that if elected, I will pardon the January 6 terrorists. And same with DeSantis. It gives them a, a talking point to invoke that 31%. Here's my question though for you, Jordy and What's Brett, that? can you imagine what the debate, like what a 2024 debate is going to look like with a Republican candidate? I don't think they'll like debate. The things- I don't think they will debate. I think they'll handle it just like Purdue handled his. I don't think there will be any debates because that's how fascistic, as we like to say, the Republican Party has become. I mean, we already right. saw them uh, say signs that they're not going to debate. So, I mean, we'll see. No, I mean, I think it'll just be disgusting. I mean, their positions are just indefensible. They're just absolutely 100% indefensible. And that's why it's so important. And that's why, you know, like I said during our interview with Allison, I understand why people are antsy with Merrick Garland with prosecutions. That's why it's so important that at the end of all this, that we do see accountability and that we do see justice. We need to see indictments raining down. And we have to stop worrying about the consequences of those indictments. And oh, well, how will that affect this? Will it make so-and-so a martyr if he's arrested? We need to stop those sorts of defeatist attitudes and we need to keep up the pressure and we need to keep presenting the facts to the American people and show the criminality of the Republican Party because it is just so brazen, it is just so in your face, and it is just so criminal that most of the population, and I'm not talking about the rabid MAGA followers, but most of the population will look at this and say, that's fucked up. We'll say, that's criminal. And I don't want these criminals running our country. I mean, that's it. But I mean, I know you said finally, Ben, like we were going to wrap up the show, but it seems like these people keep getting rewarded in dumb fucking ways. And I would be remiss if I did not mention the news that, uh, Posted last night that most people assumed was an article from The Onion, um, but was actually real life somehow that Rudy Giuliani on an episode of The Masked Singer was unmasked as one of the masked singers. And this came out in a report from Deadline uh, on Wednesday night. And basically they say this episode is planning to air this spring and Ken Jong and Robin Thicke got up and walked out, stormed off the set Good for them. after it yeah. was revealed to be Rudy Giuliani. He tried to Sean Spicer Giuliani. Remember Spicer did Dancing with the Stars after his, you know, failed whatever the fuck that was as press secretary. They tried to give the same treatment to Rudy Giuliani. The difference is, well, there's not much of a difference between them both, but Giuliani was there while the ship was sinking and wanted to sink with the ship. Listen, whatever, whatever producer okayed that, whatever executives okayed that, I mean, they should be just shunned from, from society. I mean, I I'm tired of like people being like, Oh, it's funny. It's Rudy. He had duty coming out of his face. And like, Oh, you're just like America's mayor, silly guy. No, this is a guy who is involved in a seditious conspiracy to overthrow the government of the United States of America. For all intents and purposes, this guy 
as at minimum working with domestic terrorists and at worst himself has become a domestic terrorist. And I think it's disgusting that anybody would give somebody like this a platform to have a like joke thing. Like what fucking song was he singing on The Masked Singer? Yeah. He's not a singer. It's not funny. It's not entertaining. And they should not air this show. And the sick thing is there right now, unless we all make a lot of noise about this, they will air this episode in April and they will get probably a ton of viewers off it. They will probably get a lot of people watching to see this train wreck because in America in 2022, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're delivering people content and as long as you're delivering eyeballs and clicks. And I think it's just a shameful indictment of our society. It's why we need to focus on other content out there. It's why we have our Midas Media Network delivering the type of content we do. Um, and I like to hear lots of podcasts that are really delivering intellectual podcasts. And we've talked about this on some prior podcasts, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it here. I've really been enjoying the podcast, The Lost Debate, yes. because whenever you look at news, you may feel forced to choose between different echo chambers or just publicity stunts or conspiracy obsessed media. But when you look at and you listen to The Lost Debate, it's a podcast and a YouTube show for political eclectics who want to escape their media bubbles and engage in good faith with ideas from across the political spectrum. It's hosted by Ravi Gupta, a former staffer for Obama and school principal who founded ARENA, an organization that's trained thousands of progressive staffers and helped elect hundreds of candidates. Corey Bradford, a progressive political organizer from the Deep South turned TikTok star who once hosted a Fox News radio show. And Ricky Schlott, a Gen Z New York Post columnist and libertarian fighting to protect free speech. They cover the latest news and ideas on the lost debate and trends that mainstream media overlooks. Instead of being at each other's throats, they focus on bringing new perspectives to the table in constructive debates that sound less like crossfire and more like discussions between real people. So join the conversation. Check out the lost debate today. New episodes drop twice a week. Just search for the lost debate wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. I want to give a special thanks to our guest, Allison Gill. Really appreciate her perspective on everything. Love Muller, she wrote, and the Daily Beans podcast. We've been a guest on there. Brett, you did a spot on the Daily Beans where you talked about your video, a coup, our video that you produced, a coup in plain sight. Special shout out to our sponsors, Trade Coffee, Magic Spoon, and thesis use those promo codes that we talked about earlier in the podcast midas we fight hard to unlock these deals for you midas mighty and we're really proud to present these incredible deals for you we'll see you next week on the midas touch podcast check out legal af this weekend for further breakdown on the top legal issues and check out the full slate of Midas Media Network podcast. Thank you all so much. Keep up the fight. Let's save democracy. Shout out to the Midas Mighty!